Well, good morning. Good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now uh, on the internet or at an off-site campus or in the warehouse, the chapel, wherever you might be. I'm glad that you're along also. Love the weekend. I used to live for the weekend in the wrong way. How many of you know how that is? And now I love the weekend because once every seven days, we get to celebrate the awesomeness of God. Now, we ought to do it every day, but we get to do it together once every seven days. And so uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, hope you're enjoying it. Hey, now let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you were in school, some of you are in school now, some of you just got out of school, some of you went to school several decades ago. How many of you, when you were in school, you ever had an assignment where you had to write a letter to somebody really important? Did you ever have, have one of those where you wrote a letter to the president or you wrote a letter to the you know, senator, governor, whatever it happened to be? Yeah. Well, um, I heard about this girl that she was in a, a Christian school. And so they had an assignment to write a letter. whole class did to write a letter to a missionary. Okay? And then the teacher evidently told them, now, now when you write this letter, to mi- missionaries are really, really busy. So don't expect a reply. Okay? So here's what the girl wrote. Dear Mr. Missionary, we are praying for you, but we are not expecting an answer. We are praying for you, but don't get your hopes up. We're not expecting an answer. How many of you have ever done that? Not written a prayer or written a letter to a missionary, but you've ever prayed, but you didn't really expect an answer. Let me give you some for examples. For example, you got an email prayer request. You get those? People email and say, hey, would you pray for my Aunt Betty, you know, who's having this, that, or the other, and... You reply back real quick, hey, we're praying. And then it dawns on you that you're really not. But it was a nice answer. In order to be a person of integrity, you better throw up a prayer. So you throw a quick one up for Aunt Betty. You don't even remember what Aunt Betty's problem was. And you really don't expect it to change, but you fulfilled your commitment to the email. How many of you have ever done that? Don't raise your hands or shake your head. Just kind of go. Okay? Or... Maybe you've got a prayer list that you work through every day. That's a great idea. And maybe at the beginning of this year, one of your kind of New Year's resolutions were, you know what, I'm going to be more consistent about praying and I'm going to pray for the people that I love and care about. And so you're working through a prayer list. And at first it's real fervent, but about month two or three, February or March, you know, it's the same people and a lot of the same stuff. And you just kind of, you kind of throw one up, you know, and you don't really. You launched a prayer, but you're not really expecting an answer. You ever done that? Or how about this? The object of your request is so huge and so far gone that you really don't expect anything to change. Maybe the marriage is so far gone. You're praying for it, but you're not really thinking that anything's going to change if, if you were to be real honest. Or maybe, you know, the child that you're praying for has wandered so far away that it's hard really to believe that anything's ever going to change. Or maybe the cancer has returned so many times that you wonder if there will ever be, you know, any kind of a resolution here. Has that ever happened to you? We pray prayers not expecting 
to hear an answer. And you know, we do that, and God's Word is very specific about our praying. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, it says this, And we can be confident that He will listen to us whenever we ask Him for anything in line with His will. And if we know that He is listening, then when we make our requests, we can be sure that He will give us what we ask for. Circle two words in there, confident and sure. He's making kind of a logical case. It's a kind of an if-then. He says, you know, we can be confident that God hears us when we pray according to His will. And then if we, we're confident of that, then we can be sure that He'll answer the things that we pray for. But still, oftentimes, we really don't expect answers to our prayers. We're going to study a story today. I'm a sucker for a good story. I love good stories. I love to tell stories. love to read stories. And we're jumping into the book of Acts in chapter 12. There's a great story. It's a story um, that has conflict in it, has tension in it. And it has a group of people, not unlike this group right here, a church, that are praying fervently for an answer of a serious situation. And as we find, as we read the story, even though they're praying fervently, they don't really expect an answer, at least not an answer in the way that God answered. And uh, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the story. And then at the end of it, what I want to do is, is make some application. Maybe we'll pull out two or three things that we can learn about God when we pray and will also help us in maybe being more steadfast in the things that we pray for. So let me read it, Acts 12 and verse 1, and uh, I'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll, we'll study it together. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, who was John's brother, killed with a sword. Now, James was one of the leaders of the church. James is one of the twelve followers, one of the twelve disciples that hung out with Jesus for three years. Now there's two James that are going to be mentioned in here. Uh, one is this James, who is the brother of John, James and John. And the other is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. Okay, just to kind of differentiate between the two. So Herod has the apostle James killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish leaders, he arrested Peter during the Passover celebration and imprisoned him also, placing him under guard of four squads of soldiers, of four soldiers each. Herod is a bad dude. And uh, he's the leader of the area at the time, very politically astute. Um, he's one of these type of guys that, you know, he licks his finger and puts, a, puts it in the air to kind of follow the, the wind wherever it happens to be blowing the political winds. He sees that he could gain political favor uh, by persecuting the church, and so that's what he does. And he kills James, and leaders are excited about that, so he grabs the big dog. He grabs Peter, who is the leader, the, the number one leader in the church at that point. Has him in prison. He's going to kill him too. But he has to delay a little bit because it was Herod's intention to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. He can't, he can't have him killed during the Passover, so he's going to put him in jail and 
and then he's, he's going to have just this trumped up trial, and, uh, and then he'll have him killed. Verse 5, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Verse 6, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, chained between two soldiers, with others standing guard at the prison gate. It said that um, earlier that they had four sets of four soldiers, kind of the way it worked for important prisoners. They didn't want them escaping as if they could. But what they would do is um, they had uh, four three-hour watches during the nighttime. Three, three hours, you know, from six to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, three to six. Each watch was manned by four soldiers. One was chained to one hand of Peter. The other was chained to the other hand. And then you had two of them at the door. And this is in the, in the middle of just a you know, highly guarded, almost castle type of situation. So nobody's going to escape. We want to make sure of that. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel tapped him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he said, Now put on your coat and follow me. So Peter left his cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. It's like he gets up in the middle of the night. You ever got up in the middle of the night and wondered if you were really awake? That's kind of what's going on here. And... uh, He didn't realize it was really happening. They paused first at the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate to the street and this opened to them all by itself. That's not a big deal today. It happens all the time at Walmart. But back then, you you know, opens up. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Should have patented. He'd made some money on it. Uh... So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left them. Peter finally realized what had happened. It's really true, he said to himself. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from from what the Jews were hoping to do to me. After a little thought, he went to the home of Mary, mother of John, Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door of the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to it and when She recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter's here. Peter miraculously breaks out of prison. In the middle of the night, finds the right house, knocks on the door. Girl comes to the door, gets so excited, she leaves him locked outside. With He's thinking... The guards are coming. The guards are coming. Let me in. Let me in. It's kind of having a bad night. You ever had one of those? Things go right, but then they don't. So she goes in and she tells everybody that's praying in there. Here's what they say. You're out of your mind. No, we're praying for Peter. He's in prison. He's not out. We're praying for him. He can't be out. They're praying for him to get out, but they don't believe that he's out. Have you know they're probably not expecting that kind of answer to their prayers. They might be praying, Lord, don't let it hurt too much when he gets killed. But he's out and he's free. They say it must be an angel. So meanwhile, Peter's outside. He keeps knocking real quietly. Knock, knock, knock. Doesn't want to wake anybody up. When they finally went out and opened the door, they were amazed. He motioned for him, be quiet, quiet down. 
Didn't want the neighbors to wake up. Told him what had happened and how the Lord had led him out of jail. Tell James, that's the other James, that's James the brother of Jesus, and the other brothers what happened. And then he went to another place. At dawn, meanwhile back at the ranch, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterwards, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, what happened to Herod? Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for their food. They made friends with Blastus, who was Herod's personal assistant. That's how you get to the big cheese, is you don't overlook his assistant. You make friends with the assistant because he or she is really the one that controls the whole schedule. Just a thought. And an appointment with Herod was granted. And when the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes and he sat on his throne and he made a speech to them. He's looking good. I mean, he, he, he puts on, in fact, I read some stuff, background to, to this. It, literally, robes made out of silver. I mean, this dude looked good. He's he, bling everywhere. Got this big throne, you know. He sits down on the throne and he makes this incredible speech. The people gave him a great ovation shouting, It is the voice of God, not a man. They should have said, no, we glorify God, but I'm just a man. But no, he, he thought, yeah, they might be right. You know, and I am kind of a God. As a result, instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. And so he was consumed with worms. And he died. Verse 24, but God's good news was spreading rapidly. There were many, many new believers. All right, let's learn from that. Maybe you've got something you've been praying for. Maybe fervently, but you don't really expect an answer to prayer, at least not in the way that God may answer the prayer. Here's what I want us to do. Let's learn some things. Here's what I want you to remember. When you pray, here's what you need to remember about God. First of all, God is aware of what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. You know, it wasn't like, God was surprised by Peter's situation. Peter got himself thrown in jail. Whew, didn't see that coming. Oh boy, Peter, you screwed up. I guess that's it for your life. Have a good life. Ruined my plan for you. Can't work in you anymore. No. God was aware. In fact, um, series before this, we studied a little bit about Moses. God raising Moses up. And in the time that Moses was raised up, the people of Israel were in a really bad place. Really bad place. They were under Egyptian bondage and they're crying out. They're wondering, God, where are you? And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. You know, maybe you began to follow God's plan. Maybe it's been recently. Maybe it's been a few years. Maybe this year you decided to ratchet it up, you know. And um, and when you did, you ran into some unexpected opposition. You choose to follow God with abandon or you choose to take the next step, there's always going to be opposition. 
And it comes from unexpected circumstances. Sometimes it's people. And sometimes it's the people that you never dreamed would be opposed to what God's doing in your life. Sometimes it's a family member. And you know, maybe this year, you, you, as part of your resolutions, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press in with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really develop a relationship. And, and you're really surprised at the resistance you get at home. Or it could be friends that you have. You know, I was talking to a guy recently that uh, actually it was, it was his own brothers. I, they, they were planning a brother trip, you know, to go. So just an adventure. They did it every year. This year they left him out. And one of the reasons they left him out is because they, you know, they're going to smoke some weed and, you know, do some of the, the stuff. And, and it's just not what he's into anymore. And sometimes your friends, they get upset because you just don't party with them like you used to. You don't party the way you used to do it. And so it's, it comes as a surprise, the resistance. Sometimes it's circumstances that comes. I know that's the case with us. My, my family, 22 years ago, decided to follow God. We didn't understand it. Oftentimes you won't understand, you know, the, the why. God, why do you want me to do this? And we left everything that we knew up until that point, and we came to South Carolina to be a part of planning a church. And, um, and here's what we discovered is that sometimes when you choose to follow God, things get harder before they get better. My parents came to visit us. Dad pastored a church in Houston. My mother uh, was in the last stages of cancer. And uh, he thought bringing her here might cheer her up seeing us. And so they came and, and we all piled into my van on a Monday morning. and. We uh, went to, we, we were going to go to um, Charlestown Landing. We'd never seen it. <laughs> Honestly, I still haven't. I was sitting in the back row with Jason and Jessica, and we were on the highway, and I had walked up the aisle to ask my dad a question. And so I was hanging on to the uh, headrest of the passenger seat in this little minivan, and all of a sudden, Dad slammed on the brakes. And so I kind of grabbed hold of my grandmother, grabbed a hold of me, and I can remember just looking up into the rearview mirror and seeing Dad's eyes from the driver's seat and saw that he was looking up. And he just stared at the rearview mirror and he said, Oh my God. The truck uh, hit us and then uh, we began to move and roll. And um, ultimately the truck hit, I think, four or five cars, total two or three of them. Just looking back through some of these mementos from our um, our car accident and um, the keys to the car which I have no idea why we kept but somehow we managed to have a, a set of keys left after that we went back and, and um, had these pictures developed and it's truly a miracle when you look at the the uh, damage that was done to the vehicle we uh, came to on our side and uh, I can only describe the interior of the van at that moment as a pandemonium um, I struggled to uh, get out of the seat. The van's on its side. And I went back just calling everybody's name out. Who's here? Who's here? And somebody said, Jessica is, is hurt real bad. I took her and she wasn't breathing and her eyes were glazed and there's, she was just a bloody mess. And uh, uh, in, that, in that moment, I uh, 
reconciled the, the fact in my mind that she, she was gone. And uh, by that time, other cars had stopped and there were guys on top of the van trying to open the doors. And, and I handed her out uh, uh, almost, uh, it was almost as, as, as an act of, I don't know if I want to call it worship or um, I don't know what it was. I, I, I gave her out as if I was giving her to God because I thought she was gone. And uh, fortunately, there were some nurses uh, who were making the shift change at MUSC at just that time and uh, about three cars back. And they uh, immediately began to, to do CPR and work on her. And uh, the best sound of that day was hearing her scream <laughs> when she finally began to breathe. I, I crawled out of the, the van because I couldn't find Jason. And uh, I got out and I went around to the back where the semi-truck had hit. And uh, uh, he was suspended between the uh, headrests on the van. The, the whole back of the van was torn off and uh, all that was left basically was a seat and his head was suspended between the two headrests and so uh, myself and another guy who was there helping we pulled it apart and I grabbed him in my arms and he was lifeless and, and uh, very bloody and, and I laid him down uh, on, the, on the pavement there next to Jessica. Somebody pulled me out of the, the car and um, took me out onto the highway and my dad was out there and I noticed Jason, my brother, my older brother was laying on the highway uh, completely lifeless and I, so I asked my dad what's wrong with Jason and I distinctly remember him saying Jason's gone we need to focus on the people we can help and uh, by that time uh, they were getting other people out of the van uh, one at a time uh, they eventually had to cut the top off to get my mother out and my father who had broken his back and um, it was just surreal. It's this doesn't happen to you, and I can remember standing on uh, about the eighth, eighth or ninth floor, wherever the children's wing was at that point at Medical University, uh, with Debbie with my arm around her, uh, looking out, and we're crying. We don't know anybody. We don't know anybody here. What are we doing here? After this happened, and. Now, 20 years later, it's just so amazing the journey that that began then looked like it was going to be um, a really difficult journey. They stabilized the kids. They told me that Jessica was really going to be okay. She amazingly um, obviously had a major concussion and she had facial cuts and a lot of stitches, but they said she's going to be okay. And Jason, they said, we think. We think ultimately he'll he'll be okay. They said uh, it's a severe head injury and he's unconscious and he probably will be for a while. And but but we're hopeful. It was still hard to see him not communicating and not playing and not being his normal self. And that uh, that was a process that took probably a couple of weeks till we we really saw the real Jason. And that first time he he smiled at us and and said something that made sense was like it's him he's back you know and then it was still a process over 
um, several weeks till we got all of Jason back, but, but we did get him all back. Looking back on the accident, I, I think in some ways it really strengthened my faith because I watched my dad who had told us very clearly that God had called us to move to Charleston and God had given him a dream to start a church. And so here we were in this foreign city to us, didn't know anybody, and this terrible accident happens to our family. But at the same time, seeing him and my mom unwavering in their confidence that God had called us to be here. And in spite of the fact that all of us wanted to go home, we wanted to go back where it was comfortable, I wanted to be with my friends, but he knew that God had called us to be here for a, a bigger purpose than ourselves. The elders, when we left Freeport, Illinois, had gathered around and prayed for us that God would knit us into the hearts of the community in Charleston, knowing that we didn't know anybody. <laughs> I didn't know he'd do it like that. You know, when you decide to follow God, oftentimes um, it gets worse before it gets better. It does get better. Uh, and usually when it does get worse, you want to go back to wherever you were before. And you want to quit, but you need to know. Here's what you need to know. You need to know that you're never alone through whatever you go through. God knew. God knew and God cares. And so remember when you pray that God is aware of what you're going through and aware of your circumstances. Second thing you need to know about God is that God is not limited in His options to deliver you. God isn't limited in His options to deliver you. Peter's situation looks impossible. No wonder the church wasn't really expecting an answer to prayer. I mean, James had been killed. Peter's in there. Same thing's going to happen to him. But you're forgetting that this is the God of the universe that we're dealing with here. He's not limited at all in his options. I mentioned I'm reading through the Old Testament. So this week we came to, in, in daily reading, we came to where um, Israel is delivered from the Egyptian bondage. And first of all, Moses is chosen, and we all know that he probably wasn't the one that you would have chosen because of his background, but God chose him. And then now they've got a, now that God says he's going he's to deliver them. Uh, Egypt had all the power. They had all the money. They had all the weapons, the world's greatest power at that particular point. No way, right? Israel is no match for Egypt, right? But see, that's the wrong equation. Here's the right equation. Egypt is no match for the God Almighty, the creator of the universe. God is not limited in His options. And so how does He deliver them? I, I'm telling you what, you could have sat and had a strategic planning meeting for a year and never come up with the frog idea. You remember the frogs? You know, God says to Moses, go tell, go tell uh, Pharaoh that tomorrow there's going to be frogs everywhere and that he needs to let us go. Pharaoh says, yeah, right. So, so what happens? So Pharaoh goes to sleep and the next morning he wakes up and there's frogs in his bed. Frogs. Some of you like frogs. God bless you, not me. There's frogs everywhere. And so he gets out of bed and he gingerly steps into his house slippers, you know, and there's this big old frog and he squishes him. And frog stuff comes out, you know. And so, and so he, he, he gets the slipper off and he tiptoes over to the bathroom and there's a frog on his toothbrush. And then he turns on the water and frogs come out in the water and he goes downstairs 
and he puts, gets his Keurig coffee maker and, that makes one cup, you know, and out comes a ground-up frog and there's frogs in the microwave and... Ugh. Pretty creative, would you not agree? God is not limited in his options to deliver you. And so Pharaoh finally lets them go and the Israelites are uh, wandering through the desert, you know, and God's done all these miracles, but they've forgotten it because it's like 30 days before. Are you like that at all? And so now they're hungry. God, we're going to starve. We'd rather go back to Egypt. That's always the temptation. When the hard times come, I want to go back to wherever I was before. It wasn't great, but it was better than where I am now. And so God does a miracle. He provides food. Creative, right? You remember what the food was? It was these little flecks of stuff that would come out every morning like the dew and it would lay on the ground. What did they call it? Do you remember what they called it? Manna from heaven. It was manna. And so they would go out and they would collect up enough manna for their family for one day. And then they had cookbooks on how to cook the manna. They had manna burgers, manna dogs, cream of manna soup. And they'd wash it down with a little manna shavits. You know, I mean, that's just kind of... Don't boo. You don't do that in church. That's creative. So Peter's in prison. No one woke up that day and said, you know, I'll bet what God does is bring an angel and, you know, the whole routine. They, they, they never would have dreamed it. But God is not limited. Because Peter wasn't dead yet. God had more for him to do. And Herod's attempt to destroy Peter, somebody said it was like trying to catch a ray of light in a fishing net. See, Herod was no match for the God of the universe. Yeah, he's a pretty powerful guy in his own little universe, but there's somebody much, much more powerful. That's why I love this next scripture. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Say that together. If God is for us, who can be against us? When that gets down deep inside... Nothing can stand in your way. In fact, I think Peter knew that because on the night before he is to be executed, what is he doing? He's asleep. Would you be able to sleep in a situation like that? Would you? In fact, the angel literally had to kick him in the side to wake him up. You read the story. Heard about an old geezer that served God all of his life. He's with some guys in a in a boat, and there's a terrible storm that comes up, and he's sleeping. One of the guys finally wakes him up and says, Aren't you concerned? The guy reminded him that the psalmist said that the Lord never sleeps or slumbers. If that's true, there's no sense in both of us staying awake. <laughs> What's keeping you awake? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it a financial situation? Is it a new, new thing that... It, you're following and you don't know where God is and you're pretty sure that God's led you there. Remember that God is aware of what you're going through and that He's not limited in His options to deliver you. Third thing you remember about God when you pray is that God always finishes what He starts. God always finishes what He starts. God had called Peter. He had compelled Peter to preach the gospel. And it wasn't up to Peter to make that happen. 
God's the one that made it happen. Sometimes we feel like we have to make God's will happen. We have to do this great thing or whatever. Well, you know, I got, I got to, got to just do something. And really, it's all you got to do is follow God. What was the big thing that Peter did to bring about his deliverance? We read the story. What was the big thing that Peter did to bring about his deliverance? He wasn't even praying. He was sleeping. Here's what he did. He obeyed God and he followed him. Angel came and said, get up. He could have said, I can't get up. There's a guard on either side. If I get up, I'll take a beating. All he had to do was get up. Usually when God asks us to do something, it's not this big old huge thing, but it's something that you've got reasons why you won't do it. Then he said, okay, now put your clothes on. I mean, it's not, you don't want me to do something. No, just put your clothes on. He puts his clothes on. Remember your shoes. Okay, I'll put my shoes on. Get your coat. All right, I got my coat. Follow me. That's how it is with God. It's the little practical everyday things. Just doing the next thing that you know to do and following God. Is there anything in your life that you know to be the will of God but you're not doing it yet? It's the little things. Maybe it's to really make a commitment of your life to Him. Maybe it's to, rather than just visiting a church, maybe it's to become an active, contributing member of the body of Christ. Maybe it's to get baptized. I don't know what it is. I, you know, I don't know. But the next thing that God reveals to you, just do it. Just do it. God always finishes what He starts. Peter sleeps because he knows that God finishes what He starts. He knows that either, number one, God's going to deliver him, or number two, that His work on earth has been accomplished, and He's going to go home. And if you're not dead yet, if you're still alive here, That may be the theme of the whole year if you're not dead yet. God has plans for you. And if God has plans for you, then He's going to enable you to accomplish them. Just as Herod was no match for God, there is no obstacle that's a match for God completing His work in you. That's why I love Philippians 1 and verse 6, which says, And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ comes back again. says, God's going to finish it because He always finishes what He starts. You say, well, what about James? God didn't finish him. He got his head cut off. He was killed. Well, it wasn't because God couldn't save him, because He could. So if it wasn't because He could save him, there must be another reason. God must have had another plan and another reason for him. Some bear witness to God in their life. Others bear witness to God in their death. You know, I, I hate it <clears throat> when I hear or read this about a Christian. He lost his battle with cancer. She lost her battle with, and you fill in the, the name. We're trying to be nice. I know that. They lost their battle. Oh, really? They lose their battle? Is that true? Or would it better be said, she won entrance into eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
You see, for a Christian, death is an enemy. Yes, but it is a defeated enemy. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57 says, How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. For Christian, when a Christian dies, it's not a defeat. It is a victory. We go to be with Him forever. So let me ask you this question. Was it fair that Peter lived and James died? Was it fair? Well, I'd say that Peter got the short end of the stick. James went to be with the Lord right now. James never encountered another moment of opposition. James never encountered another moment of frustration. Never encountered another time when somebody didn't follow through with what they were going to follow through with and and, and he was disappointed. There was no more of that. He went to be immediately with the Lord. His work on earth is done. And we need to remember that. When sometimes we wonder... Is life fair? Well, life isn't necessarily, but God always is. And God has plans. See, it's not like God fumbled the ball with James and scored a touchdown with Peter. God never fumbles the ball. If it looks like a turnover, it's just because God knows a better way to win. Because He always finishes what He starts. He finished what He started with James. He finished what He started with Peter. And oh, by the way, he finished what he started with Herod too. And that's not good news. At one point, Herod thought he was in control. He was the God of his own little universe. And in the end, things didn't go well with him because he never repented of that. And so God judged him. So what about you? What are you praying for but you're not really expecting an answer to? You need to remember... God is aware of what you or your loved one or whoever it is is going through. You need to know that God is not limited in His options to deliver you or them. And you need to remember, God always finishes what He starts. Here's my question at the end. What if we really believe that? What if you believed it? What if we all believed it? Do you think it would change the way we prayed? Did you, do you think it would change the level of trust that we have in the God of the universe. I think it'd make a major difference. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today for Your grace and Your goodness. God, I thank You for the fact that You created each of us with a purpose. And that You're calling us, number one, to You. And then You're calling us to reflect the good news to the world. And God, in these moments of response and reflection, I I just pray that you would um, help us to be honest with ourselves as to where we are right now. You already know. And just to take the next right step. So we commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.